Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And Smetty here. Oh no, there's a place for cheese and it's not dessert. Welcome to another edition of Golick and Smetty. I am Michael Senior. She is Jess Matana. And Jess, before we move forward to what's going on, I want to thank you for not waking me up either at night <laughs> or in the morning when. You and your boyfriend came to the Notre Dame-Clemson game. You guys stayed at our house uh, the, the, the night of the game. And you came back to our house after Chris and I were already home and went to bed. And you left the next morning before we even got up. So I'm very impressed with how quiet you were coming back into the house. Well, Mike, you left the Notre Dame-Clemson game at halftime. So, yeah, we got home later than you and your wife, and I was stunned that, A, you didn't stay for the whole game, and B, the dogs didn't even bark when we walked in. I was expecting a hero's greeting from Hank and Ted, and I got nothing, and I was very upset. But you're right, we did did creep in and out. We kind of, like, slunk in and slunk out in the morning to get – uh, back to Chicago to make our flight, but I was I was bummed. I wanted to talk about the game with you. Yeah, that wasn't happening. Um, yeah, we 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 rarely stay, especially a night game. We don't stay for the whole game because part of it is leaving the dogs for that long. You know, especially if we have to put Ted in the cage because he's a chewer. Uh, so yeah, you know, crazy. we're we're thinking of our dogs, and then once we got home, we started to get tired, and we were like, "Screw this! We'll watch the rest of the game <laughs> in bed, and the dogs sleep in bed with us." So. And even when we got up, we got up and, and I was kind of walking loudly and the dogs were kind of barking and, and Crystal's like, quiet, quiet, you know, Jess and her boyfriend, they're, they're still sleeping. I said, no, they left. So they left already. She's like, oh my God, I didn't even hear them last night. So good job out of you. Well done. Um, just wanted to, uh, to say that you are welcome anytime at the house when you don't oh, make noise I, like that. I appreciate I I also made the bed on the way out. I don't know if that counts for anything. Mike. I'm dying to know what you thought of the cookies that I brought you. They were phenomenal. I mean, listen, what, you have not, I have not had anything yet that you've made that has not been phenomenal. You are an ace baker and you did not disappoint. So you came to the house with, with food in hand. So I always appreciate that. Make the compliments coming. Making the bed, that, that's more my wife. You scored points with her than me. I don't give a <laughs> shit if you make it or not. Uh, but you doing that certainly... Certainly uh, was made my wife very happy that you took the time to do that. 
Because we have definitely had people stay there before that would not do that. Not that that's oh. the end-all, be-all, but it is a very nice touch on your part. So. Stugatz wouldn't have done it. Oh, Stugatz, are you kidding me? He'd have stolen something from my house, <laughs> let alone not made the bed. Oh, he would have stolen the bobblehead. Yeah, I wanted yeah. to steal the bo- the Mike Golick Jr. bobblehead I saw on my way out, and I had my eyes on it, but I didn't take it. You should have. You should have. I don't care if it doesn't matter to me. All right, so that was cool. Now, before we get to sports, I have to ask you some very, a uh, very important question. Ooh, okay. We are not yet at Thanksgiving. We're getting there, so we'll talk next week about food and Thanksgiving and sides and all that kind of and, and stuff. But I need to know from you. When do you believe it's okay to put up Christmas decorations? Hmm. Mike, I think my preference is the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And I know that there's differing opinions on this. I know that your son is a big believer that Christmas is year round or something crazy like that. But what what do you, why, what do you think? Oh, I, as soon as Halloween's over, uh, Christmas stuff goes okay. up because I'm fine. I'm fine with that. I don't, I don't judge anyone for putting it up. Like my neighbors have Christmas stuff out right now and right. that's okay, but I'm going to wait until after Thanksgiving because I personally enjoy the fall aesthetic. I like all the pumpkin things and the gourds and the leaves and all that and, right. and like flannels and plaids. So I wait cause I like to extend the Halloween season out a little bit. See now I appreciate that because you like doing that. But you don't have a problem if somebody decorates Christmas-wise. Because I've gotten to battles over this of people that say <laughs> I am just absolutely wrong for wanting to do this. But we are one of those. We, we changed to the holiday stations right away on XM. You know, we got okay, those going well, right away. Yeah. I think one of them is Holly. It's 104. So that, that's <laughs> one of them. There ends up being a few of them. And, I mean, the day after Halloween, man, we are... Down with the pumpkins and up with the with the Christmas decorations, the Christmas music. We uh we, we love doing that. So it's always an interesting battle that I have with people about that. But I like your responses. Hey, you do you and I'll do me. I think that's the way to go. I think that's just you know holidays. People are always going to have their preferences, and it usually stems from whatever you you did when you were growing up. My family always put up Christmas. The Saturday and Sunday after Thanksgiving while we're usually watching the Bears lose on Fox. So that's just our family tradition. Yeah. Yeah. And now Thanksgiving, a lot of times, you know, my wife would put up the decorations because I actually played on Thanksgiving twice when I was playing in the league. And then, you know, you're just worried about Thanksgiving and stuff. But Chris always had. And we usually put up two trees. As well. Really? Now, here's the that other thing. That seems really extra. But... I, I know. Uh, we're, we're, we're kind of over the top. Do you put up a real tree or a fake tree? I haven't put up a tree once in my adult life. What? Wait. I've, n- I've never had the space for it. So... You can, uh, there's, there's different sized trees. You can find space for a little I've never, tree. I've never gotten my own tree. Oh... My, so the apartment you live in in Miami, you're saying yeah. will be Christmas treeless? Probably, yeah. I mean, I don't have any plans to put up a tree right now. I'll get Christmas themed like tea towels. Oh, you look like you're about to kill me. I'm I terrified. Am, I am. <laughs> I am distraught. What, what does the boyfriend I, have to say about this? 
Well, he celebrates Hanukkah, so I don't oh, think he has a strong okay. preference about Christmas trees either. But yeah. neither of us, I mean, I actually, you know what I will say, last year or the year before when we couldn't go to my parents' house for Christmas um, because of COVID, we've like never been able to celebrate a real Christmas because we started dating right around the, the pandemic happening. Right. But we did, we did put up a really tiny fake tree from Target. So I take it back. Okay. I've had one like two foot tall target tree that was completely fake and like probably terrible for the environment. And it got thrown away right after Christmas, but we put a couple ornaments on it. We had a, like a J ornament for me and a W for my dog. And that was Christmas. So, so we have done that and I do love string lights. I will string up some string lights to give my apartment a cute little ambiance, but that's really kind of all I do. All right, all right, I'll, I'll take that. Now we, I used to have, we used to have real trees all the time. Now those you have to water, while, because again, we put up our tree and it's up for a long time. I mean, it's up <laughs> before Thanksgiving and it's get taken down probably a week into the new year. So it's up for a while. So you have to water it, and yeah, I would wow. always forget, and I would always dry it out. It gets very dry and becomes a real big fire hazard if you dry it out. And then all the needles fall off. It's a freaking mess mm-hmm. getting rid of it. And how do, I, wait, how do, the, how do the dogs do with the tree, the real tree? We had a, they we, don't, like, attack it? Wait, no, they, they attack the ornaments, and then we just have to okay. go through the process of saying, don't yeah. do that, don't you know, do that. And, and, and teach them. Years ago, we also had a cat as well with our dogs, and the cat really? would climb up the tree, like up the inside of the tree. Cats are wild. Yeah, man. cats are. This is a great cat. It was like a dog. It would fetch. We would throw its like <laughs> mitten, and it would fetch it and bring it back. But I would. I kept drying out the trees, and my wife gave me one more chance, and I screwed it up, of course. So we have now had a fake tree. Fake we've been trees. married thirty-five years. I would say we've probably had a fake tree for twenty of them now. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's pros and cons to it. The fake tree you have to store somewhere. Obviously, that's a pain in the ass. You have to like take it out of the box it's usually dusty and you have to like shake out all the branches and like you know set them up so it looks like a tree it can be a pain or a hassle but it doesn't die and it doesn't shed right right. and you know it's just a little bit more convenient the fake trees of today Jess since you have not put trees up in a while are amazingly convenient on how easy they are to set up. Yes. And I just got the nod at the taping of this, the day we're taping this. My wife happened to say to me, pull out the tree today. Let's get the tree out. Let's get going on that. Uh, So that's that's all starting That's exciting. I'm I'm really excited for you. If I ever become a homeowner, I will buy a really nice fake tree. Yeah. When I'm 45, that's my plan. When you're 45, you got Buy a house. (laughs) My generation doesn't own things, Mike. Right. right? I'll be renting forever. Understood. Understood. When you're 45, good. That's almost two decades from now. My God. Thank you. Oh. Oh, my God. But all I know is the holiday season will be good to anybody around you because I know you'll be a baking fool. Uh, oh, for, my God. Uh, yeah. I already yeah. I'm I packed my bags for Thanksgiving and I put two pie tins in it that yeah. I'm taking on the plane with me. That's my girl. Right I there. need to bake some pies next yeah. week. I, we will we will get more into the pie baking yeah, yeah. on next week's episode because we have a lot. I'm sure you have a lot of Thanksgiving food. Lots of food takes. things to talk about. Yeah. Yeah. A whole, yeah. A whole so lot we'll. Going we'll on. we'll postpone that until now but i'm i'm really happy 
for you that you're finally going to be able to put the tree up when we're done with this. Yeah, that's I am a, too. And then we got then I got to find another tree because yeah, for some reason the wife likes two trees. And why am I going to say no at this point? I mean, double why? the Christmas. Yeah, that's exactly. It. I think it's more because we've had two trees for a while and we have ornaments for two trees. So she feels if she doesn't get two trees, we're wasting ornaments just the being ornaments. packed away. Yeah. yeah, we should we should get you a Golic and Smeddy ornament. For oh, that's what we need. Good call, good call. And segue- producer Drew, get on that. Segueing into our uh, uh, college football portion of this show is we just got our Notre Dame. Every year, Notre Dame makes a um, yes the ornament. The ornament. My so. parents get that. Yes, too. yes. There you go. <laughs> so yes, we got the ornament. So uh, uh, nice. the Notre Dame ornament, and we get to celebrate another Notre Dame victory. Uh, over Navy, this one looked Oof. like we had it in the bag in the first half, and then we decided the second half to look like some of the games where we lost, and Navy got back into this one and made it way closer to than it should be. But listen, this is the year, really any year is the year. A win's a win. You take it no matter how you can get it. I think playing Navy the last two decades is a win is a win. Like Notre Dame had a – probably 40 year stretch where they beat Navy every single year. And then in like the early two thousands, Navy got a few wins in there. And now I think Notre Dame fans are just scarred by it. And they're just happy to come away from that series with a win, no matter how ugly it is, because we talked about on the show with Gojo last week, preparing for the triple option is not a joke. It's not fun, especially late in the season. Players get hurt. It's a completely different style of play. It's a train wreck. It just, it stinks. And so winning is winning. Mike, I do have one question for you, which I I noticed in the second half when Notre Dame was not playing as well and and Navy was able to come back a little bit into the game. Uh, Drew Pine was, was getting blitzed a lot and he was having trouble getting rid of the ball quickly. Is that something that's like you have to coach a player to do or is that something that is just because the offensive line isn't giving him enough time? Like, where do you put the blame in that situation well, in that game? Well, a lot of it depends on the blitz. Now, sometimes you blitz more players than the offense has to block, uh, and you get a man coming free. Or you'll blitz and you'll overload a side and try and confuse uh, protection so that somebody comes free. The rule, certainly a rule is if they blitz more than you have to block and someone comes free, the quarterback's responsible for that person. They have to know it and they have to get rid of the ball. Um, if you have enough blockers to block and they just get beat or get confused, that makes it, that muddies the water a little bit. Then it becomes, does the quarterback have the vision to see the person that is blitzing? And then again, it's on them to get rid of the ball. Um, so if they can somehow, some way. So there are different rules for blitzing. A lot of times, less often you'll see that all-out blitz where you bring more numbers than the offense has to block. A lot of times you'll confuse by twisting or things like that to confuse the O-line. Then it's on the O-line if they didn't you know, brush off a person or if the back missed a pickup. A lot of times you'll leave a tight end to chip somebody so they can't get a rush. So it's, it, it can be a gray area. But if somebody's coming free and the quarterback sees them, a lot, a lot of times that quarterback has got to know where he's going with the ball because you have to understand where blitz is coming from, that's normally an area where you think it can then throw the ball. And it's also up to the receiver to recognize a blitz 
cut off his route if they're on the side of the blitz and get in that area where the blitzer's coming from to give your quarterback a, a place to throw the ball. So it's not completely cut and dry, uh, but I, that surprised me. And the fact that Navy was getting back into this game, now they rush for a lot of yards, they always do, mm-hmm. but they were passing the ball well. Now they had the backup quarterback come in because right. the starter got hurt. And the backup is a little more of a passer. But still, you should never get beat by the passing game of the Naval Academy. That just shouldn't happen. <laughs> That's, I mean, I was looking at the, the second half, like, play-by-play uh, after the game. And it did seem like, yeah, that Navy was beating Notre Dame on the pass a lot. There, but, like, in reality, Notre Dame allowed them to score a field goal, which was a, a weird choice by yep. the Navy coach to kick a field yep. goal after a 10-minute drive. That went, I think, 88 yards uh, to start the third quarter. And then they forced a few three and outs. And then towards the end of the game, Navy scored again and kind of garbage time touchdown right, right. and kicked the onside that Notre Dame got back. So it wasn't like a bad defensive performance, I thought, in the second half. It was just that the offense was able to do so little yeah. after halftime that Navy really had a chance to come back right. and make it interesting. So I know Navy obviously has a, a lot different types of players than what Notre Dame will play the rest of the season against BC and, and USC, but is the way that they were able to corner the Notre Dame offense repeatable in those final two games? Well, I mean, listen, if, if I'm – there are two ways to approach Drew, Drew Pine, who's not a great passer. Uh, you, can, you can rush four. Try and get it. A lot depends on your line. If you can rush four and drop seven, and don't give him a lot of places to throw the ball, you can you can you can have success. Or if you blitz him and make a quick decision, you can have him uh, make some mistakes as well. So, Drew, you know we know the the game before Drew had himself a heck of a game, especially with his legs. He ran well, Mm -hmm. and I think that would work for him going forward because he's not a great passer, but to become make a few play with his legs to have that there and the defense then have to respect that, that could help out his passing game uh, as well. A lot, Like I said, a lot will depend on if a team can rush four or not. If a team can rush four, they can play, you know, seven deep in a pretty basic defense and pick their spots to, to, uh, to blitz. Uh, but if they can't get pressure in four, now you're forcing them to bring more. Now that's an advantage for Drew Pine in that offense. So it, it's amazing to me, though, when there were six games left, it was three against ranked teams and three against unranked teams. And we were talking about hopefully they can win, win the three unranked and become bowl eligible. Well, they've beaten two, <laughs> two of the three ranked teams they have now beaten. Syracuse was ranked right? and Clemson was ranked. And the last one they'll get after BC, a game they should win again. But we know that's a tough statement at times this year. Then they'll get USC on the road. So that would be something. So if they run the table... They'd be nine and three. If they don't, they'll be eight and four. They'll go to a you know a decent bowl game. I, I guess in your mind, is either one a successful ending for you? Eight and four or nine and three? Certainly nine and three looks better. I nine and three looks a lot better, especially if you win the bowl game and then you're ten and three, which I think looks great. I mean, anytime you get double digit wins on a season, I think is a great thing for a coach to have on the resume. Um but I think on paper, if you showed me eight and four or or nine and three at the beginning of the season, I'd probably be maybe not nine and three, eight and four. I would certainly be disappointed. Right. But then if you told me that the starting quarterback got hurt in week two, I would understand. Right. I, I think it's really impressive 
the way Notre Dame has been able to rebound from the Buckner injury and win some of those games that looked like the games that they lose. Obviously, it's been incredibly disappointing. They've lost against Marshall and Stanford. There's no, you know, right. no apology for that. Like, that's just, it's just bad football. But, um, yeah, Mike, I think I think under the circumstances, losing your, your quarterback when you don't have a deep quarterback room this season is is really a tough thing to overcome in college football. Uh, certainly going to be an area where, Next season, they're going to probably have to make some changes in the portal. Yeah. I, I mean, I think Buckner hopefully will be happy, healthy if he sticks around. Um, he's back in it, and I'd, I'd like to see him play a little bit and see if he can develop more. So, yeah, I just, I just don't know what the expectation is when you lose that key player in the second game of the season yeah. with a brand-new head coach and a new staff for the most part. Um, so I, I'm okay with it, but that's only if they – go one and one right. at, at worst right. the next two weeks. If it's an 0-2 finish, it's like, eh, Yeah, eh, yeah, that, that would be tough. I would, I would agree with you there. As far as, you know, me looking at it, if I'm with you before the season, if you'd have told me eight and four, I would have definitely been disappointed to think about that. I'd have, I'd have definitely been disappointed. But losing the quarterback and, and seeing some of the way they played some of the games, I would say, okay, we got out of that first year. Let's go to a bowl game, see what happens. Nine and three, to beat three ranked teams in the last six games would be nice, especially if USC keeps winning. They're going to move up because Michigan and Ohio State, someone's going to move down after a loss there. Uh, unless it's a close game, then maybe they'll stay ahead of USC. But USC's a top 10 team right now, so that would be they've already got a top 10 win over Clemson, and they can get one over USC as well. So we'll see. I, I think it's been, it's been, just as Coach Freeman said, an inconsistent team at times. That, that's something they have to work out. But I agree with you, and we've talked about this before, before. They may have to hit the portal for a passing quarterback next year. I also think you can confidently say as a Notre Dame fan, and this will probably be controversial, Notre Dame, probably the best team in the ACC if they were in the ACC this season. They've beaten both ACC right. championship playing teams, North Carolina and Clemson. They're North Carolina and Clemson's only losses. Right. Um, if they played any ACC team, they'd probably be favored. I don't know if they would win because <laughs> they lost to Stanford. Yeah. Like I, That'll be yeah. the mantra for the rest of the season. Right. I don't know if they can win because they lost to Stanford and Marshall, but um, they did really well against those ACC teams. I, I think they have still like a 27-game regular season ACC winning streak. So if you care about those things, I think that that's great. And now they can play spoiler to their biggest rival on the road at the end of the season, Southern Cal. And whether or not they win, I don't know if it matters too much to fans because they're not playing for as much as if this were for a playoff spot. Um, but it's certainly a fun place to be. I, I, having just played spoiler to Clemson last week and how much fun the fans had with that, doing that to Southern Cal, I think, would be um, incredible. For the and and, and Southern, Southern Cal was my biggest rival for sure in my era and even before, so it would be awesome to see them knock us out or us knock them out because I remember that was their goal back when Mike and Jake were on the team in 2012. We were number one. Oh, yeah. We had to win that last game to be in the title game. Uh, I mean, it happened in it happened in 2018. Also, the right. last game That's when Notre right. Dame was undefeated. Right, right. That's very but, true. But Mike, I think it's it's also the hopes and dreams of the Pac-12 now rest on that game because of what happened this weekend with the rest of the Pac-12. Oregon losing oh. to Washington in a crazy game, and then late at night, you were probably awake for it. 
because you're in the Pacific time zone yes. now. But most people on the East Coast probably were asleep when Arizona upset UCLA. Unreal. So now Southern Cal is the only hope for a Pac-12 spot in this playoff, which is crazy because midway through the season, it was like, well, one of these teams has got to make it in, right? Oh, I, I was that. Then again, when that happened, it was like, well, that's the Pac-12 being the Pac-12. They they eat right. themselves is what they do, right. you know, and they and they just find a way to screw it up. So you're right, USC is is the last hope there. So let's hope Notre Dame can spoil that. And and who knows if USC can even bust into the party because there's teams in front of them. So right now we have four undefeateds, but there won't be four undefeateds uh, very soon. So Georgia's one, Ohio State two, Michigan three, TCU is sitting at four. Ohio State and Michigan have to play last game of the regular season. So you're only going to have, you know, if the other teams win, three undefeated teams. The The team that could really muck this thing up is the team with the guy who used to be Notre Dame's head coach. And that's LSU. You got to give them credit, you know, for knocking off Alabama. They are LSU, which is sitting at number six, is in the SEC championship game with two losses at eight and two. So if they were to beat Georgia, which I do not think they will do, but if they were to, to win out, beat Georgia in the SEC title game, they're going to be the first two-loss team in the tournament, right? I mean, there's no way they're out, correct? They would have beaten Alabama. They would have beaten Georgia, which is number one in the country. It'd be very difficult to sit there and say, okay, you have two losses and we never had a two-loss team and there's a couple of uh, undefeated teams and one-loss teams. I still think LSU would have to be in if they were to do that. I think so too. And I think Tennessee fans would absolutely be devastated because of how badly they beat LSU earlier this season. LSU was not in the game at all. It was at home. It was Brian Kelly's worst home loss in like 20 years. I think Tennessee fans felt that that maybe made them a little safe since it was such a, a win over you know, a SEC West team that that's a pretty right. quality team, even though, you know, LSU wasn't ranked as high at the time. But, yeah, Tennessee fans would be, I think, devastated if they got left out of that. Um, but they didn't beat Georgia, and that's what they needed to do this year to have a shot at the SEC title game. Right. So you, can, you can't really blame, you know, LSU for it. You have to really just blame yourselves. But, yeah, watching a team that you beat by a lot of points get in there. Yeah, that would be would tough. S- would be really tough. And I think there's also, like, this – other element that we've already forgotten that Clemson might end up being a one loss power five champion or North Carolina might end up being a one loss power five champion. North Carolina doesn't have the name prestige that Clemson has, but they might have pretty similar resumes at the end of the season if they both win out. And then of course they'll play each other in Charlotte. So that sets up a really interesting scenario too. It does. But what I'll say there is I think the committee let us know what they think of North Carolina. I mean, they have yeah. one loss to Notre Dame, and they're sitting at 13. I mean, yeah. they have a lot of teams to jump. A lot well, of teams beat, to jump. What if they beat Clemson and win a championship? I mean, I, I don't think they'll get in. I'm just saying, uh, yeah, I, I if I either. were a North Carolina yeah. fan, I would not be too happy about that. I definitely I, – I think the ACC might be on the outside looking in. TCU, oh, TCU if they take care of business, just they're win. in. They're yeah, in. Just win. They're, they're absolutely in if they do that, and they obviously well, – they have Baylor – Iowa State, and then the uh, the Big 12. Well, probably, I think Kansas State right now. I don't know all the tiebreakers because the Big 12, like you said, they're all all together. They're like no the Pac 12. Right. They're all together. They all kind of like 
cannibalize each other every season. This team beats this team, and then this team loses and all of that. So, yeah, TCU just needs to win three more games, and then I think they're in, which would be really cool because they've never made the playoff yeah. before. And I always like seeing a team that's never made it get in. I'd love to see Tennessee and TCU both in it instead of, you know, your typical Georgia, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State matchups. Well, Tennessee is is the first team that looks to step up if LSU loses to Georgia. Now, I, I mean, yeah. Georgia, LSU has to lose because Ohio State, Michigan, you know, one of those teams is going to stay undefeated. So I think Georgia stays undefeated. I'll say Ohio State just for sake of seeing a team undefeated. And if TCU stays undefeated, they're in. And then, you know, if Michigan is not in the Big Ten championship, and then obviously Tennessee is not going to be in the SEC championship, and if LSU loses, they're going to have three losses. Tennessee is in a great position to be that fourth team in there. So that it will be interesting unless for some reason – Oh, say Ohio State beats Michigan by a point, right? right. And then right. Michigan is watching well, the Big Ten championship yeah. game. Ohio State wins it, and then does Michigan still get in, possibly? Yeah, I mean, I think that might come down to, like, margin of victory. If yeah. Ohio State beats Michigan also by, like, four or five touchdowns, yeah. I don't think Michigan no. has a, no, a no, shot at it. No, don't have a shot then at that but point. But like you said, if it's a short, if it's a close margin, which is crazy, it's crazy because it's going to come down to like a weird weather game probably at noon on the Saturday after Thanksgiving and it's going to be probably snowing and freezing and, yep. and crazy. That So that game's going to be really fun to watch regardless. My absolute favorite weekend of the sports calendar is the weekend after Thanksgiving because yeah. there's just Florida ceiling college football, NFL, there's so much stuff going on. And now this year there's going to be like World Cup matches at the same time. It's just going to be totally bonkers. There's usually good college basketball games going on. Next year there's going to be a Formula 1 race, which yeah. I, I don't I'm not prepared for. Um but that is one of the, my favorite weekends of the year and this year there's going to be a lot of college football playoff hopes and dreams riding on it. I I think if I'm not mistaken Next uh, next week for Thanksgiving, there's the three NFL games on Thanksgiving. I think Friday is when the U.S. plays England in the World Cup. I think. But I know there's a World Cup game oh that Friday. And then Saturday, you have the slate of college games. And then Sunday, obviously, the NFL. So, yeah, it's it's getting good right now. And, and again, some of these will take care of themselves. Some have teams have the ability win and you're in. Others have to kind of, you know, wait and see. Uh, what happens? Certainly different in the NFL, where you can get in with a losing record and go on and win the Super right. Bowl if you want. It's all about whatever you have to do to make it into the playoffs. Let, let's start here first, Jess, with a team that I don't think is going to get into the playoffs, but really, really kind of, you know, took over the headlines, and that's the Colts and the hiring of Jeff Saturday, who I will say outright is a, is a great friend of mine. We've worked together, and 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 I love the guy. Uh, that he was named the interim head coach for the Colts when they fired Frank Reich. When you initially saw that, this is a guy in Jeff Saturday who's never been a head coach outside of high school and never in college, never an assistant, never in pros, never an assistant, and was, was offered that job and he took it. And I don't blame him one bit. What, what was your initial thought when you saw that? I was really stunned. I think everyone was stunned to see a former player who has not had any coaching experience get promoted to that level when it seemingly there would be a coordinator or a position coach or someone in the building 
with that team week to week this season who would probably be a little bit better suited to fill that role. And we, we talked about it with Gojo a little bit last week that it br- brings up a big issue, which is that this seems to only happen with you know, non-minority white candidates in a league where there's a, a lawsuit filed by a former black head coach saying that there you know, were sham interviews and they're not adhering to the Rooney rule and there's lack of opportunity and there's discrimination in coaching practice and coaching hiring uh, practices. So that was my initial shock was that I never considered that Jeff Saturday would yeah. be up for this position. And also, like, it seems like these types of opportunities only happen to a certain kind of, yeah. of former player. However, that being said, like there were a lot of former coaches and players up in arms about it because they feel that you need to pay your dues to get that kind of job. And I'm not really like a pay your dues kind of person. Like I don't believe that like, oh, you have to cut your teeth and toil away for all these years before you can do X, Y, and Z. I just think that like some people are naturally good at something or might be the right fit for something. And you don't need to just like be, you know, someone who works a 200 hour a week NFL job to be qualified to be an interim head coach for like six weeks. But that was just my thought process. So what do you think? Well, a couple things. First, I just want everybody to understand the NFL does have the Rooney rule, which has worked for shit as of late, as we know. (laughs) When you're dealing with an interim head coach, the Rooney rule does not apply. So, so I just want to just, so technically they didn't have to go through the Rooney rule process to hire an interim head coach. Now, if uh, they have to, after the season where they're going to hire a head coach, they have to go through that process then. And I have no idea if Jeff will be involved in that. Listen, it was a nice win against a horrible team in the Raiders. They still have Philly to play, Dallas to play, Minnesota to play. I mean, it's going to be a tough road for them. My thought I, I understood to a point, and it was Bill Cower and Joe Thomas, the guys that really were vocal. And, and Rex Ryan. And Rex Ryan heard, were really vocal about this. I heard a lot of this. Rex Ryan. I, yeah, yeah, you hear definitely anytime you hear a lot of Rex Ryan. Um, there is, I, I, there, there, and these are guys that were in it, especially the coaches, so they understand the coaching circle is an amazing thing. There's part of me the, that understands it to a point that says, you have a former head coach on the staff, why wouldn't you just elevate him? Uh, to do that. I don't know what Ursay's reasons were. I know he's great friends with Jeff Saturday. I have no idea. But the one person I don't blame in all this is Jeff Saturday. You want to you wanna say you have an issue with the process, then put point the finger directly at Ursay. He's the one that made this decision. Uh, Jeff Saturday, hell, who, who, if you want a coach or have any kind of thought on coach, and I know it was brought up that he was offered to be an assistant a couple of times and he didn't do it, yet he took this job. I don't care. I don't put it on Jeff at all. I would have taken the job. Shit, if that Notre Dame job was, you know, when when, when Brian Kelly left <laughs> and Jack Swarbrick, who I live right down the street from, if he came and knocked on my door and said, hey, Mike, how about taking over the team, you know, for the year? And so, oh, so, I would have loved that. I'd have been like, oh, hell yeah, where do I sign up for this? Because I, I would have, I, I, I almost, I was asked to get into coaching and I didn't want to because of that lifestyle. And there's a big difference of, of when I was asked to get into coaching after I finished in the NFL, I had three very young kids as opposed to all my kids are out of the house now. You know, my wife and I were talking about this because Joe Thomas brought it up, talking about Chudzinski when he was a coach, never saw his kids. And and again, I know what he meant. It wasn't a fact of not seeing your kids. It was a fact of the time 
commitment to be a head coach. But there's still the mental strain and drain of not seeing your family that Jeff doesn't have to go through. I think Jeff has one left, a 16-year-old at home. The 16-year-old, you know, when you're 16, you don't talk to your yeah, parents you anyway. Wanna, you don't want to talk to yeah, your parents. Yeah, you know, exactly. Your parents are, he's probably yeah, so embarrassed of Exactly. Right I've been through that three times. So, so he didn't have to go through that mental part of it. So I don't blame Jeff at all for taking the job. If you want to jump on the process, you know, that that's on Ursay. But I'm happy for Jeff and, and the players. I spoke highly of him saying he didn't come in and start ranting and raving and said, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. He basically said, I'm going to let you coaches do your thing. I'm just going to try and, and, you know, look at things here and there and see if we can improve somewhere. So, and that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me because uh, again, you, if you see the positions I see as the smartest on the field are centers in like in football and catchers in baseball. That's why you see more than a few catchers become managers uh, in baseball because you have to kind of know everything out there. And I think centers are kind of the same way. So uh, if you're afford or against it, whatever you think, I, all I got to say is I'm rooting for Jeff. I have no idea what will happen at the end of the year, but, uh, but I, your I'm on un, your unbiased opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely, <laughs> definitely rooting, rooting for him. So we, and we have a bunch of people uh, on a 1972 team in Miami who were popping the champagne. Oh, my God. When Washington beat the Philadelphia Eagles on Monday Night Football. You know, I was just a few days before that. I was, we were actually driving from Indiana here to Arizona. And I went on, I think it was WIP in Philadelphia. And one of the hosts asked me, is it better just to lose a game and then have that whole undefeated thing out of your way and not thinking about it? I said, that is the same situation as when you get your buy. Whenever you have your buy, somebody says, is this a good time for a buy? You can justify anything as a good time for a buy. Mm-hmm. So you can justify the same thing about, yeah, let's stay undefeated. That's not going to affect us at all. Or as soon as you lose, ah, okay, we got a loss. Now we can settle in and play the rest of the season. So I'm like, to me, it doesn't matter. You go undefeated. Why not try and go undefeated? I don't think, right. it, I don't think it affects you. At all, but they played. Listen, they played bad. Washington kept the ball for forty minutes, and the Eagles turned the ball over. I mean, that at the end, what I said to these guys is, I doubt they're going undefeated. There's seventeen games, and it's hard to win in the NFL. And we just saw on Monday Night Football how it can be when you don't play your best. Going back to your your conversation about whether or not you want to stay undefeated, I think of course you want to win as many games as possible you don't hope for a loss but I think there's also the added thing that you know when you're an undefeated team after like five or six weeks as soon as you lose these snobby little 1972 Miami Dolphins are gonna pop a bottle of champagne and gloat and drink it and laugh in your face and I don't want to see that shit (laughs) like the the players currently in the NFL were not alive in 1972 their parents probably were not even alive in 1972 all right they don't want to see these old 72 Dolphins popping a bottle of champagne when they lose so they're going to want to win, even if it means, you know, they're, they have the specter of a loss <clears throat> right. shadowing over their heads for the rest of the season. No one wants the Dolphins to be gloating in their faces. And frankly, you know, that in itself would, would probably get me to play a little bit harder if I'm on Monday Night Football against the Commanders, other than the fact that you're playing against the Commanders and everyone's watching. Oh, my God. Time. Yeah, that, I, I still, still amazed they lost that one. But they did. So now they're sitting there tied with Minnesota for the best record in uh, the NFC, and that was the game of the year. 
right? Minnesota and Buffalo. I mean, oh how God. that game I, went, how that at first the, the goal line stand by Buffalo, and then all you have to do is execute a snap. And they couldn't do that. And, and, and Minnesota scores on a fumble in the end zone and then wins it in overtime. I mean, absolutely an incredible game. I Once you can't get the, the fourth down on the sneak. Yeah. You should not be able to win that game. Like the fact that they were able to still come back and win. And the, also, we didn't even mention the Jordan Jefferson or Justin Jefferson oh, catch, catch? Oh my on God. the sideline. I mean, there were multiple catches in that game that I was like, this just doesn't even make any sense. We also didn't even mention Braden Lindsay's catch against Navy. But yeah. uh, mentioning it now, that was also insane. Check out the highlight if you haven't seen that yet. I, I think I retweeted on Saturday. I think it was on SportsCenter. But oh, anywho, I digress. Yeah. The end of that game was was totally bananas. And the end where Josh Allen threw the interception to Patrick Peterson. Yeah. That was a little – if I'm a Bills fan, I'm a little alarmed by seeing that. That might hearken me back to his rookie years where he was kind of throwing some iffy passes towards the end of games like that and playing a little, like, YOLO with his passes. Yeah, yeah, that, that was not a good throw. Uh, the last few games, it seems their Achilles heel has been they, – they've been getting run on uh, as well. So and, and that could prove detrimental if you're playing outside in bad weather. Uh, when it's good running conditions, uh, that that could hurt you. So we'll see. Uh, but but so so they lose. It's amazing to me now when you look at the standings that all the teams in the NFC East are basically in the playoffs. The last place team in the AFC East in the AFC East is five and four. That's the Patriots, and that right now is tied for the third spot. The, the third wild card spot with the Bengals and with the Chargers. The Jets and Bills are in with three losses. And right now the Patriots are tied with a couple other teams. You could, could you imagine all four teams from the AFC East making it into the playoffs? That would be absolutely incredible. That seems like it should be impossible. But yeah. it's funny because before the season, every, like all of the narrative going into this NFL season, and the narratives always turn out to be wrong, but all of the narratives going into the season was how good the AFC was because of the AFC West and because of right. the Chargers yep. and Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. And right now the best AFC teams, probably the Miami Dolphins, at least the one playing the best with their starter when he's in, when he's healthy, um, being Tua. And there was like no expectation for that going right. into the season. And and Herbert has been injured and he's he's played a little iffy here and there. Yes. But I think maybe maybe some of that just stems from having a, a rib injury, which I imagine is pretty difficult to play with if you're a quarterback. Mm -hmm. And then Josh Allen has lost a couple games that you don't expect yeah. him to lose going into the season. And then there's Patrick Mahomes, who I think – is they're maybe not winning games in, in as flashy a way as they were like two seasons ago, but I think they're fine. Maybe you're not watching as many Mahomes highlights this year, but they're fine. But still, this narrative of the AFC West being like this dominant division and the AFC being a really like clash of the titans with all these quarterbacks yeah. has kind of not been borne out so far this season. No, it hasn't. Listen, last year we were all saying the NFC West was the best division in football, and that proved to not be. And everybody said AFC yeah. West this year. And it's proving not to be. So let's see how it let's see how it all plays out. So um, I'm looking forward to this upcoming weekend's game. I'm going to Mexico City for the first time in my life. I'm calling Ooh. the Arizona San Francisco game. Both winners this past weekend, 
uh, Arizona doing it with a backup quarterback in Colt McCoy. Uh, yeah, I'll be doing the Monday Nighter, myself and Ryan Radke in Mexico City. So, yeah, Chris is coming out with me, and, and Ben and Sydney are coming out as well. We're going to make a little weekend out of it. So I heard there are great places to eat out there, so we're looking forward to it. I've heard the it. same thing. Yeah. That'll be awesome. Yeah, yeah, definitely looking forward to that. Can't wait to get the, the scouting report on that when you get back. So, and speaking of it, I'll have to break out the passport for that one. And speaking of breaking out the passport, let's go to Brazil. Now, this to me. Oh, yes. You're going to have to help explain to me because, again, okay. Jess is really F1. She has a podcast that, you know, that deals with F1. I'm getting into it more and more because of Drive to Survive and watching the races. So, the Brazil Grand, Grand Prix, which is actually was a 1-2 by Mercedes with Russell and Lewis Hamilton, but that's not the story. Max Verstappen, <laughs> Max Verstappen from Red Bull has already won the championship. He, he's won it. It's over. It's done. His, mm-hmm. his teammate, and I use that term loosely in F1 racing when they call him teammates, uh, Checo, um, was you, – you, you explain it, Jess. You'll, you'll explain okay. it better than okay. I. Okay. I'll explain it. So like you said, Max Verstappen won the championship like four weeks ago because it's a points-based system and no one can mathematically catch up to him now by the end of the season. So they have like all these races left and everyone's kind of racing for two through 20. Um, And there are drivers who really care a lot about where they finish in those standings, even though they're not winning the championship. And there's also teams that care a lot where they finish because the higher you finish as a constructor, the more money you get for the next season and, and the more development time and all these things, there's all these incentives to do better. So Max Verstappen has not a whole lot to race for because he's already won. He was in sixth place and his teammate, Sergio Perez, Checo was in seventh place and Red Bull really wants Sergio Perez, who's currently in second place overall this season, to finish behind Max in second place in right. the Drivers' Championship. Understandably so. He so. Gets more points for finishing before, you know, finishing higher up in the one through ten where you right. get score points. So he's in seven, so he'll get more points if he finishes in sixth. And Max doesn't need any points because he's already won. He is the winner. Everyone agrees he's phenomenal. He's the best driver. Yada yada. Great car. Great driver. Great. Well. Bad teammate, as we will find yes, out. Yes. So, Red Bull asked slash told Max Verstappen to let Sergio Perez go in front of him. And which they is do that, with, that with, with the on-race radio, which is great that yes. you can hear the conversation going oh, on during great. the race. They asked him to let his teammate go in front of him on the last lap so that he'd get a few more points. And Max Verstappen said no. <laughs> he said I, I'm not going to let him through. I told you why this summer I have my reasons. In the meantime, the radio was telling Sergio Perez that we're going to tell Max to let you through. And Sergio Perez was saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then they were like, actually, sorry, yeah, he's, he's not going to let you through. And he was like, well, it goes to show you what kind of person he is. So that was the end of the race. And it was a very exciting race. Like you mentioned, George Russell won for Mercedes. It was his first win. But everyone's focused on now what's happening with these two Red Bull drivers because a report came out that there's been bad blood between them because of what happened literally months ago, Mike, 15 races ago over Memorial Day in Monaco. Right. 
Apparently, the the word on the street is that Max Verstappen has been holding a grudge since Monaco because of something Checo did in May that he didn't like, that he thought was that he thought cost him points in the championship, and that's why he didn't let him through now in November in Brazil after he's already won the championship that he's apparently annoyed about not getting points for in May. So, Checo fans very pissed off. I think Red Bull fans are also pretty pissed off because they also want Checo to finish in second sure. place. It looks good for your team if you both finish, you know, one, two, but Verstappen was not having it. So that, that was a very messy finish to the Brazil Grand Prix, which was a fun race. How many, no how one many, will remember it for how, that. How many more races, Jess? Just one this so, weekend in Abu so Dhabi. Right now, Perez and Leclerc are tied with 290 points for second. So, this race will decide, you know, who's behind Max. And if Max would have let Sergio ahead, he'd have been leading uh, Charles Leclerc at this point. He'd have been in second by himself. So I, I guess the question to me is, I, see, and I don't know what happened in Monaco. And if what happened in Monaco was egregious enough, does, does anybody blame Verstappen for holding a grudge on that and saying, you know what, he screwed me back then, so I'm not helping him now? I mean, because oh, overall, I look at it and I think, what an asshole, you know, for a teammate. <laughs> but when you hear something happened in the past, again, I don't know how egregious it was. Well, it was it was not that egregious. It was it wasn't great. So what happened in Monaco, which is kind of unsubstantiated, there are some reporters saying that Checo purposely crashed his car in qualifying so right. that he would qualify ahead of Max Verstappen. Now, there have been attempts to verify that, like ESPN has tried to verify that, their F1 reporters have tried to verify that it was on purpose and not an accident, but they haven't been able to. So whether it was on accident or not, I don't know if we'll find that out. But what happened was Sergio Perez was in third place qualifying, and then he crashed his car. So qualifying ended, and Verstappen wasn't able to attempt a faster lap than right. him. So he was behind... Checo for the race. And then the next day during the race, Checo undercut the two Ferraris that were ahead of him and won the race in Monaco. And Max Verstappen didn't finish in first place. And he felt that Red Bull should have done something strategically to allow him to beat his teammate and finish with more points. And so the very next day, Max Verstappen's dad, who is a former driver right. also, wrote on his son's website just that. So that part is not a secret. They felt that Red Bull didn't do enough to give him a position to win more points. Now, I think the thing that you can argue is that wouldn't this all be water under the bridge now that he's won the championship? Right. And wouldn't you care more about making your relationship with your teammate going forward copacetic going yeah, into yeah. the, the offseason? And I guess the answer to that is No. And then, of course, there's all the people, you know, and this is common in every sport. It's like, does one player or one driver think they're bigger than the team? Do they think they can make decisions for the team and defy team orders and all of that? So that all is going on, too. But I think the more interesting thing is, like, this weird interpersonal dynamic where Sergio Perez has done a lot to help this guy so win. So that's what I wanted to ask you real quick because, again, you watch it more than I have for a longer amount of time. In the last two years, Verstappen has won the championship the last two years. Has Checo helped him a decent amount of times in those two years? Unequivocally. Okay. Unequivocally. You could say 
Max wouldn't have won either championship without him. Really? Certainly not, certainly not last year. I don't think Max would have won last year without the way Checo drove in Abu Dhabi. This year, Max probably still could have won because he, he really was just faster and right, he had a great right. car and all of those things. But Sergio Perez still helped him this season. There were times that Red Bulls told Sergio Perez to let Verstappen ahead of him because they want him to win the championship because he's the, the better driver. Right. But he's been in, you know positions where he's behind his teammates. So he, that has happened this season. In fact, I think it happened in Spain the week before Monaco, Okay, uh, which is why Checo, I think, was, was determined to win that race. So, yes, he has helped him. He has helped him win two championships. You would expect Verstappen to feel grateful for it. Apparently he doesn't, and there is still perhaps this grudge because of whatever happened in Monaco. Obviously there is. I mean, so I, I guess that's what I wanted to hear. I mean, if Checo has helped him that much, that one yes. time, even if it was, there was a blatant thing out of Checo to help himself over Max, he has helped Max enough for me to say yes. that's just such a, an asshole teammate move. But but I'll say again, said it, not I, me. I'll say again, though, Jess, in, in, now again, I know Drive to Survive, when you're watching a series, it can be dramatized in some ways. When they sit there and say teammates, again, you could probably answer this better than me. It doesn't seem like a real team-related thing. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of a lot of camaraderie amongst my teammate. And hey, how can I help you? It seems like everybody is still out for themselves until somebody gets on the radio and says, "Hey, let this guy pass you." And then it sounds like they may be doing it begrudgingly, or like in Max's case, not doing it at all and saying, "No, I'm not going to do it." There, there were other issues this weekend with teammates not getting along like the Alpine team this year Fernando Alonso and Esteban Ocon they do not like each other from what we can tell from the last few races but yeah you're right it's not a team sport but it also is like it it is but it isn't you're on the same team and you're getting points for your constructor and you drive with these guys and you sometimes need their help and sometimes they'll help you but at the end of the day you are racing for yourself for your seat in F1 for your salary for your own championship, for your own personal, you know, acclaim. But you do need help sometimes, which is why maybe you're competitive with your teammate, but you're not competitive to the point where you're going to do something to hurt either one of you or your team. Um, So it is a really interesting and complicated dynamic, and I think that's one of the things that people are so interested in with this sport. So last thing, we'll end on, on this. Next week, is it next week or is it two weeks? The next, the next week. Next week? Sa- Sunday. Sunday, yeah. okay. If that, re- put the same scenario up, okay, that, that, uh, that Max is one spot ahead of Checo, and if he lets Checo get by, he will beat Leclerc and win second yeah. place overall. So give me the exact same scenario for this last race. Does Max let him go by? I think so, because I think the blowback from this weekend yeah. has been pretty enormous. I think that I think that he will do it begrudgingly, but I think he will do it. I, I think I agree with you, because I, I definitely saw some Verstappen fans on Verstappen's side, you know, making giving reasons why they had no problem with it. But I got to believe overall that, that most of it was negative towards Verstappen. And oh, just yeah. like, oh, my God, this guy pulled this off. So I agree with you. I actually hope it is the same situation. Me just too. So we can I, would hear, be... I want to hear the radio. I'd love to hear it. Uh, Max, please, this time, could you please. let, let yeah. Checo go by? But then, but then 
what's what stinks about it is that like Max totally can take credit for it. Oh, if I know. Just in second place, which is like so annoying. Uh, Max and, would be like, like, "I won, and I got my guy second and place." I, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> the other thing that happened the day after all of this was a, a GQ cover or, a cover story with Max Verstappen on it came out where he's literally dressed like Doctor Evil. So, really? Oh, that's wild. He's got the whole gray turtleneck and everything. Maybe that's yep. fitting then, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm glad you. I'm glad you explained it because I was looking at this, going, "Man, I really want to go off on Max, but I want to make sure <laughs> I, I have all all my ducks in a row on this." So, all right. Let's see who. Uh, let's see who wins second. Um, so that's well. Uh, yeah, George Russell is going to be out of it, right? It's going to be Leclerc and Checo second and third, right? I, yeah. I, I yeah, think Russell's I think too so. far behind. He's like thirty, what, uh, twenty five points. Behind those guys, so uh, that's going to be that. So there would have to be something crazy. To yeah, happen, yeah, I think, for, for for that to happen. So, all right, I appreciate uh, I, I appreciate the education there on what went on, and uh, I am going to leave now because my wife just came home and I didn't get the Christmas tree out yet. So I'm going to be oh. in trouble if I don't go set okay. this thing up. Go ahead, I'll talk to you next week. Mike. Thank you. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.